We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. Section 93, like I saw it was only one section and I remember it being kind of long but I thought, if it's only one section, it must be really long. And it really isn't. It's just, there's a lot there. And a lot of really important doctrinal stuff that we start to see here that we haven't really seen prior to this, or at least this um, explicitly stated, you know? Uh, so it's that, that, that I think is why they said, it's okay if this one stands alone. The uh, Revelations in Context book kind of gives a little background about this section and it talks about how they were meeting with the School of the Prophets in Newell K. Whitney's store in Kirtland, Ohio. It says, during one of these sessions held on February 27th, the same day the Word of Wisdom was revealed, David W. Patton was moved by the Holy Ghost to sing a hymn in an unknown tongue. Someone present, perhaps Signey Rigdon, interpreted Patton's hymn for the others. The hymn was about Enoch's vision as found in Joseph Smith's revision of Genesis. Enoch's vision was probably familiar to most of the men in the school, penned about two years earlier and published in the Evening and Morning Star in August 1832. The vision gave a grand overview of human history in the words of Patton's interpreted hymn. Enoch was shown what had passed and then was and is present and to come. The vision also gave church members one of the earliest glimpses of the idea of a pre-mortal existence. I made the world and men, there, and men before they were in the flesh, the Lord told the ancient prophet. The interpretation of the hymn given in the, in the schoolroom echoed the revealed text. He saw the time when Adam, his father, was made, and he saw that he was in eternity before a grain of dust in the balance was weighed. Joseph Smith's revision of the Bible, including the vision of Enoch, contained profound ideas about premortal life and humankind's relationship to the divine. But they were only hinted at, not explained in detail. Just thinking about that. We, we think because we have the gospel, we have a lot of this stuff explained now, that the early saints were operating under the same context that we operate, right? They knew what we know because they had the scriptures and they had a prophet in their next as their next door neighbor and stuff like that. But there were people who joined the church and for two, three years didn't know that there was a pre-mortal life the way that we know that there is. And that to me is kind of fascinating because it's like <laughs> we take that for granted. I think that knowledge of a premortal existence and what went on there and and all of that, like there was probably some inkling of it. But to know that we didn't first come to existence when we were born, to know that we've always existed in some form, in spiritual form, uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. Then it goes on to say, on May 6th, a few weeks after the school adjourned for the warm season, Joseph Smith received a revelation giving further details about the premortal existence. Now found in Doctrine and Covenants 93, the revelation departed from the traditional Christian ideas about the nature of humankind. 
opening startling new vistas in, on our premortal past, our future potential, and our relationship to God. Since the 5th century, Christian orthodoxy had imposed an almost impassable gulf between the Creator and His creations. Humankind, Christians came to believe, was created from nothing. God was not a craftsman who refashioned existing materials, but wholly different and apart from His creation, mysterious and unknowable. The Bible's parent-child description of God's relationship to us was understood largely as a metaphor instead of a literal kinship. To suggest otherwise in the estimation of most Christian thinkers, blasphemously lessened God or dangerously elevated humankind. I think that that's one of the things that set this gospel apart, this doctrine apart from a lot of other religions and faiths, even within Christianity, was the idea that not only are we direct spiritual descendants of God, but we can also become like him someday. And you hear a lot of people when they criticize the church, they talk about how, oh, you guys think you can become gods. Like it says here, you're either diminishing God or you're somehow elevating yourself to his status. And that's not right. But, you know, we've talked about this in the past, how wouldn't a father want to give his children what he has? Wouldn't you want your children to have the best? And it just makes sense, you know, that if we are literal descendants of God, that we we would also inherit all that he has someday. Yeah, I think part of the discomfort that people have with the idea that you can be like God one day is one, we think that that God is kind of like a king mm -hmm. and we have a caste system that rests underneath that and you have peasants and lords and, and, and slaves in a way and that it's a very antiquated way of thinking that has a lot of truth within our human history, how leaders have treated their subjects. Um, then we think, well, we go to heaven and we are so uh, fascinated by how wonderful God is that we will sit there and sing to him praises for all of eternity and we'll be happy doing it. And I would think that would be hell for me, you know. Um, <laughs> there's got to be more to existence than than this. And that's what God's trying to tell us. And I think that's partially why he organized us also in families. And why we learn and we grow. And we are told that, that the next life is not just the goal. That the goal is eternal progression. And in order to progress eternally, you must understand these gospel principles and be able to live them and do them of your own free will. Right. And no one will be forced to be in heaven. No one will be forced to do the right thing. That we have to have choice. I thought it was interesting that uh, at the beginning of this section, John the Revelator, they start speaking about how he saw Christ before he was born and that you know in in verse 7 he says and he bore record saying i saw his glory and he was in the beginning before the world was in verse 8 therefore in the beginning the word was for he was the word even the messenger of salvation and the light and the redeemer of the world the spirit of truth who came into the world because the world was made by him and in him was life of man and the light of man and the worlds were made by him and man were made by him all things were made by him through him and of him and so he's trying to say that 
Christ didn't just appear all of a sudden to him and the disciples in, in, in the in the you know his earthly ministry that Christ was Christ before his birth that he was already involved and he was doing important things and and, and all things were made because of him and so it kind of says then similarly so were we you know we existed before uh life isn't you know there's a lot of things we don't understand but we we in this in this section we begin to know that our spirit is eternal and our body and spirit together only then can they have a fullness of joy the one that really stuck out to me after, right after he's talking about the words of john in verse 19 basically the first half of that verse i give unto you these sayings that you may understand and know how to worship and know what you worship and that, that's really cool to me because it's like i want you to know what we are doing how to do it and why it's not about just blind obedience i want you to know why it's so important that you understand who the savior is and what he's done and all of that how to worship and know what you worship that you may come into the father in my name and in due time receive his fullness if you do this stuff you will inherit what the father has there's a few concepts here that were new or at least not so spelled out one of those being uh, that the god the father his son jesus christ are two separate people that they had different roles in the creation and in our lives today as well and that was something that there were a lot of uh, religious scholars that kind of latched on to like the Nicene Creed and things like that. They basically said, you know, God is unknowable. We can't understand him. And he is the same as Christ. And they're, they're one being, one person. And you're seeing that in the scriptures through these revelations, they're basically saying, you know, there, there's God and then there's the son of God. And, you know, in verse 15, I, John, bear record, and lo, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Ghost descended upon him in the form of a dove and sat upon him. And there came a voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son. These instances where we see in the scriptures, this is a very well-known situation. This was at his baptism by John the Baptist. That we see all three members of the Godhead fulfilling their separate roles. And that was a, an interesting concept. You need to know not only how to worship, but what you worship who are these people what what role do they fulfill and what does that mean for you and i think that 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 clarification was a very important thing for the lord to do for his his new church yeah i i like that you mentioned that you know what you worship <laughs> i think it's interesting that there's a progression in our relationship with with god and jesus christ and with our understanding of the commandments and we have to understand that there are stages and kind of seasons in all things so to say you know some scripture about seasons time to do this a time to do that a time to reap a time to sow because when we i think we're being taught when we interact with something that we do not know we have no information about then we need to use our best judgment and experiment almost as alma 32 said experiment experiment with the word plant it in your heart even if it's just a desire 
what is this? Is this going to be good for me? And and then it's fruit, whether it grows within you and improves your life or it doesn't. Then we cast it off and say, this is not a good seed. And in that phase, when we find a good seed, then now we know a little bit of knowledge where we can say, hey, this is good. I'm going to continue down this path. But that's not the end of it. Once we continue down that path, and sometimes it could be as simple as, hey, read this book and pray about it to find out if it's true. Well, I don't have a desire to do that. Well, will you have a desire if I tell you this is the best book that can change your life? I don't really believe you, but I'll give it a try. I'll give it an honest try. You know, I don't think something so simple could change my life. And it can because it's not just because that will lead you to other things that are good. And I think when I read this section 93, I, I look at Heavenly Father saying, well, now you're going to reach a point where it's OK that you're going to know certain things, that things are going to start making more sense. But you've got to start looking at the entire picture of the creation, the purpose of being here, the role of the Savior, that in sometimes his role to us is initially when we come across Jesus Christ, the need for him is maybe I don't know what my purpose in life is or I've done some bad things and I'm just not happy or I'm just unsatisfied in life or I'm scared of death. Like what happens? Like how where do all my feelings go? What, what about the people I love, you know? And as you get closer to him, he starts to expand your understanding of what all of this means. What is it for? You know, and I feel like in Doctrine and Covenants, the, there are several, this one in particular, but there are several sections where the Lord kind of takes us back to the beginning. Here's how we started this. Here's why the Savior is important. Here's how you benefit. Here's how this applies to you. And the overwhelming message I see in this section is just as God or Christ learned grace by grace and progressed until he knew himself all things, so can you progress little by little. And so when you're told now, even at the end of the section, I know I'm jumping when he says in verse 53, when he says, and verily saying to you, that it is my will that you should hasten to translate the scriptures and to obtain a knowledge of history, of countries, and of kingdoms, and laws of God, and of man, and all of these for the salvation of Zion. Amen. You know, I think he's trying to say, for you, gain knowledge, but you need to do it within the framework of understanding what all this is about. You know, right. If you start gaining knowledge to think that you're a law unto yourself, that now you... You, you can get carried away, you know, into thinking that you don't need a prophet or, or, you know, you have your own priesthood or things like this. You know, something that really struck to, struck me interesting is was verse 30, where it says, All truth is independent in that sphere in which God has placed it to act for itself as all intelligence also. Otherwise, there is no existence. I don't know. I, I think there's so much there and I don't fully understand. But what I feel is like he's saying that agency. Once it's given, you have it. And if you're really not free to act. 
then you're really not then then all of this is not real no I, I get what you're saying and i think it's important that we recognize even though these people were kind of hearing this for the first time in this revelation in this way um, verses 23 and 24 were really important to this as well you were also in the beginning with the father that which is spirit even the spirit of truth and truth is knowledge of things as they are as they were and as they are to come and i think what he's telling us there is not only do you need to know how all of this fits into the big picture but you knew this at one point you you understood the plan past present and future and you were with the father which is part of that explanation of a premortal existence that we didn't quite have as explicitly stated before you know this is you, you were there you were there with him and he explained his plan to you and you understood things as they were as they were going to be and as they had been right at that time and so when we're talking about you know in our current mortal existence uh, obviously we've had a veil and we don't fully understand uh anymore how that all fits together that's part of this trial of life this mortal life but truth is knowledge of things as they are as they were and as they are to come and i think part of our our spiritual journey here on earth is not only understanding that stuff but also understanding how we fit into the plan what is our role in the, in the plan where do we stand are we trying to figure out how things are when he talks about you know knowing what you worship what are you doing now what have you done in the past and what what are your objectives for the future as a as someone trying to follow the direction of the spirit um i think it's interesting that he states so clearly you were with the father and you knew all this stuff so it's not something that we're just coming up with now this is not new right you may have forgotten it but it's not new but in, in verse 33, it kind of goes on. For man is spirit. The elements are eternal, and the spirit and element inseparably connected receive a fullness of joy. And when separated, man cannot receive a fullness of joy. The elements are the tabernacle of God. Yea, man is the tabernacle of God, even, temp even temples. And whatsoever temple is defiled, God shall destroy that temple. The glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. Light and truth forsake that evil one. There's a lot of thoughts I had in that section. Um, number one. It's clearly talking about the need for a joining of spirit and physical body. That only through that can we receive a fullness of joy. And that's why the resurrection is so important. That once we die and we in this we leave this mortal life, that we, in order to have a fullness of joy, we have to have our body back, which is an interesting thing. Um, we kind of hear about that a little bit in the Book of Mormon as it's talking about the resurrection, how it must, you know, it must needs be that everyone be resurrected. Because everything you did in this life, you did it with a body, and it's important that you have that for the judgment, right? Uh, that you be restored in that way. And it even says in 34, when separated, man cannot receive a fullness of joy. Kind of like you're, you're not complete. You're not a complete soul if you're just spirit, right? Yeah. Um, something that we could not have ever achieved, the fullness of joy, in our previous state in the premortal life. We never would have had the opportunity. To experience everything of sadness of struggle of sorrow of all that stuff to be able to know what the fullness of joy really is and then uh in verse 35 kind of how it talks about our bodies being temples you know you always hear that growing up your body's a temple you know treat it <laughs> treat it wisely 
this is kind of where that idea comes from. Um, that basically the spirit that you have inhabits that body. Um, you should treat it as you would treat a temple. You should treat it with respect and dignity because it is the vehicle by which you will obtain the fullness of joy. I think about how the Lord would communicate with us based on our language, our understanding, such complicated topics, right? Yeah. Um, because <laughs> I I was looking earlier this week on the history of germ theory, which is the theory or the understanding of like pathogens, like bacteria and viruses and things like that. And um, there's a lot of theories before germ theory. There was one that was competing with it called uh, miasma theory. And a lot of individuals were trying to figure out why people are getting sick. And some of it, you know, easily could be, well, it could be people of certain physical characteristics or people that mingle with other people, or it could be witchcraft, or it could be this, or it could be that, you know. And it was almost like a process of elimination. If you look at the entire history, if you focus on one period, you could think, man, those people are crazy. How could they think that, you know? Because we have the benefit of knowing like modern science, you know, that there are bacteria and viruses and, 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 and germs and things like that, right? And nowadays, I mean, look at this epidemic. We were pretty much, we understand that it's important to wash your hands. It's important to, to kind of stay away from each other. It's important not to sneeze in each other's faces, you know. It's important to, to you know, the bodily fluids and, 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 and that is a good way that we share diseases with each other. Um and I look at, at this time, you know, Heavenly Father teaching the saints about their bodies. We just had the, the word of wisdom. And, and now we're talking about a deeper composition, something about our life force, like our spirit in our physical body together. And it's something that I think we still don't have the understanding just like they didn't of germ theory to understand you know so one of the one of the things that's really interesting is ancient israel the mosaic law where they say within the first five books of the hebrew bible contains the earliest recorded thought of contagion in the spread of disease standing in contrast with casual medieval traditions and the hippocratic writings especially it presents instruction on quarantine and washing in relation to leprosy and venereal diseases. Mm. And it's funny because we look at the that ancient law and it's like, oh, well, eat, stay away from pigs, make eating a religious ritual, you know, where you have to be clean in order to eat, you know, and you have to have everyone clean around the area that, you know, don't take things from unclean people. People have leprosy or things like that. And it, we look at it, and now with the knowledge we have, I look at it back and I'm like, that's a very practical way of avoiding a lot of contagions in a way that people could understand in their day with their understanding, with their traditions, right? And not that they're, but then now that you think, you know, and so I look at this, I'm saying all that to say, I look at the section similar to that. The Lord is giving us things that for us, 
it's what we can understand that there there's a point where there is a beginning and in that beginning christ was there and through him because of his light his knowledge his intelligence things were able to be able to be made now we we tend to think oh well there's you know i just watched the nova special on on uh how galaxies are born right i just i just watched this and it starts with a little bit of dust and a little bit of this and a billion eons and blah 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 and now a, a star is formed and 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 that gathers other systems and the gravity pull and then eventually over time these these asteroid belts collide and become a planet and then that gains its own gravity pull and ends on eventually and then life and a little tiny bacteria and then then you have a bear right <laughs> well there could be truth. I, mean, I think that's true because of verse 30. All truth is independent in the sphere in which the Lord has placed it to act for itself as all intelligence also. Otherwise, there is no existence. Meaning God created a certain amount of laws and ways that things interact with each other. And within those laws, a lot of things can happen, just like human agency. Within our human agency, we have the ability to do Many, many things, an infinite amount of decisions and choices, whether the kind of cereal you eat, the type of way you talk to people, the the, the way you, you communicate, all of these things, you are free. I think also it's the same things with things that act and things that are acted upon, you know, that they also have the freedom to interact within their sphere that they were created. You know, and I think it was a couple of sections ago, we also read that. You know, everything is organized for the Lord. There is no place where something is not organized. Yeah, I think it, he goes and explains all this stuff. And I think that it's it's kind of not, it's not super clear, not incredibly easy to understand. A lot of it, you're kind of like, okay, I need to read over this and and see, you know, what's what is he talking about when he's talking about intelligence and truth and knowledge and light and what do all these words mean what are they how do they tie together but it's interesting because in verse 39 he's talking well in verse 38 every spirit of man was innocent in the beginning and god having redeemed man from the fall men became again in their infant state innocent before god that wicked one cometh and taketh away light and truth through disobedience the children of men and because of the tradition of their fathers and then if you skip down to verse 42, he's kind of talking, he's talking to Frederick G. Williams, but he's also talking to all of us. Um, you have not cha- taught your children light and truth according to the commandments, and that wicked one hath power as yet over you. And this is because, and this is the cause of your affliction. You think about how many times the the trials that we face are out of bad habits or out of the, you know, when he's talking about the tradition of our fathers the the things we've always done we've always done things this way or this is how we've this is how we do things and it's like yeah but he's he's trying to tell you you need to try to access greater light and truth that just because you've always done things that way or just because your parents or your grandparents or whoever did things that way doesn't mean that it's right and so as you seek out light and truth teach your children change that tradition of your fathers to be something else there's not all tradition of fathers is bad right there there could be an instance where maybe you're you're trying to push that needle towards improvement every generation 
And I think that's kind of what he's getting at here is he's saying the the objective is to obtain light and truth. The objective is to have that in your life. And even if you come from a situation where the tradition of your fathers does not lend itself to that or does not have sufficient light and truth, it's your job to try and find that and then teach it to your children to leave them in a better starting place than you. And then every generation will be better and better and better because they they will have that light and truth to build upon that that I think is a clear gospel principle. I mean, you think about these people we're talking about these first members of the of the restored church. They were getting light and truth left and right. I mean, they started in a pretty decent spot. Most of them were faithful people, hardworking. They belonged to a church or at least they had a lot of faith and they had kind of a baseline that wasn't bad. But look at all these revelations they're getting getting all these revelations that are teaching them more and more and more in depth knowledge about the gospel which then they can pass on to their children and that was the idea don't make your children start from scratch again give them a position where they're starting from where you left off you've taught them everything you can about the gospel they have greater light and truth and so then they will receive revelation and continue to grow that and then leave that to their children and hopefully over the generations that grows and spreads right not only does it increase in the individual, but you're also sharing that message to the world through missionary work. It, it's just interesting that, you know, how much of our life and how much of our experience here on earth is a struggle to obtain and understand greater light and truth. Yeah, I I think you're onto something here because you think about the saints or any, just ourselves, the more we live and the start to understand the world around us gets bigger and bigger and we start to interact with other people other cultures other countries or even other histories of how the world is perceived by different people and you start to realize why are we so lost or why did terrible things happen why do we hurt each other why do we let the pride and, and this why can't we just all get along you know what i mean <laughs> and i think it's partially because of this, you know, where in like in verse 39, when it says the wicked one cometh and taketh away light and truth through disobedience and the traditions of man, because of the traditions of their or from children, from the children of man, because of the traditions of their fathers, which kind of it's a huge responsibility to have children. It's it's been in the scriptures and in conference talks, it's been it's been said that it's the closest power to the power of God is this power to create life and to bring children to the world. And in verse 40, it says, but I command you to bring up your children in light and truth. And so when we don't obey that commandment, generations and people and cultures and whatever, it makes it much, much harder. And easier to perpetuate false beliefs false traditions and 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 you gain you end up with this scenario where we have a lot of through the history of the earth we have a lot of individuals peoples cultures that have experimented with many different ways of governing each other treating each other and maybe that's part of the mandate of why we should study these things because we'll see that those that grasp anything near good principles end up in good results, you know, 
anything that limits agency or that forces good behavior doesn't end up right. The good behavior has to be organic. Good behavior has to be a choice. And that reinforces why our Heavenly Father gives us agency, either by your decision, others, or by the fact that we're here to experience and feel sometimes pain and disappointment. So we can then understand that there, you know, there there is no learning without understanding both sides of the equation, if you know what I mean, right? There's a couple of things that come to mind when I think about, you know, teaching your children light and truth. It's I have commanded you. First of all, it's a commandment. It's not just, hey, it might be helpful or a good idea, you know, to to teach your children good things. It's a commandment. But the first thing that comes to my mind is in order to teach someone something, you have to know it, too. Um, It's very difficult to say, listen, children, here's what you should and shouldn't do. And here's why. And here's how this fits into the gospel if you don't get it yourself. So be curious, ask questions, question your beliefs to the point where you're ready to look up things and study it for yourself. Why do I do this? Why is the church like that? You know, look it up, read the scriptures, study, read talks. We have all these excellent general conference talks that can help illustrate and explain things in a variety of different ways. Why is every single general conference, why do we talk about a lot of the same things? Well, because different things will be understood differently by different people. And so there may be a talk that you hear that kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And that's kind of okay because maybe there was a previous talk or maybe there's one coming that is about the same topic that does resonate with you. The way they approach it, the way the examples they give, it it feels like you can finally understand the topic. But there's a, a certain aspect of understanding the doctrine, understanding why and what we worship that's important. And then second, Teaching our children is more than just having a a sit down and saying, now, listen, I want you to be good and I want you to be nice and I want you to. Here's all the things that you're supposed to do to be a good kid and to be a good person when you grow up. It's example. It's living it and showing it. Yes, having a lesson for family evening, that's helpful. But that that without also them seeing you do it, seeing you act that way in your regular life, seeing you. Uh, portray the light and truth that you have through your actions. It's very difficult to be like that all the time. Nobody's perfect, but to kind of give that example to your kids and be like, this is why we go to church. We don't go to church just to sit there for two hours and say that we did it and then come home and pretend like we never did anything like that. You know, we go to church as to worship. This is why sacrament's so important. This is why sitting and being reverent uh, is so important because this is the most important meeting that we have, you know, and adjusting your teaching to the understanding and level of your child is important. I mean, it's a commandment. And I think about this and I think there's so many people that take for granted, first of all, all this knowledge about the premortal life, the purpose of this life and what's to come. The plan of salvation, we kind of take it as, oh, yeah, we know that it's these circles and lines that we always draw on the board when we talk about it. But this is like arguably the most important message we could possibly have for the world. You know, where did you come from? Why are you here and where are you going? Those three questions, uh, not everyone can answer. And certainly our children should be able to answer that as they grow up and as they understand more and as we can impart to them, you were with God before and you were aware of the plan and you accepted the plan. You chose to come here and now you're here. And that's why 
You know, school is hard sometimes. That's why friendships are hard sometimes. That's why we struggle sometimes, because that's what this life is about, learning how to have faith and learn and grow from the gospel, even in the hardest of times, even through affliction. And if we do that stuff, we'll be happier. We'll be able to bear those afflictions, afflictions easier. And in the end, hopefully we'll obtain a reward for our, for our obedience. I, I don't know. I just look at that and I think some of these scriptures, some of these verses might get kind of caught up in the, the greater picture of the section. But that was probably one of the most interesting parts to me. It's just like he calls out Frederick G. Williams and tells him, you have not taught your children light and truth. I don't want to be that guy. You know, I don't want to be called out by the Lord and said, hey, you're not really doing this all that well. I hope that that I I can learn from this experience of Frederick G. Williams and say, I want to be able to feel confident that I'm doing my best to teach my children light and truth so that they have those tools to use as they grow older. I I agree. And I think um, as I look at the saints during this time, you know, we, well, as we look at what we've been reading so far this year, we see the saints understanding more and more through revelation that comes to them as they become curious and ask questions and as they try to understand the world around them. You know, uh, it all began with Joseph Smith just being attentive and realizing why are there so many churches, you know, something so innocent yet profound to pay attention around you. And in that, there was the means of gaining more knowledge. And he did. He gained more knowledge. And then subsequently, all the other revelations are very similar. Why is this? Asking the right question or, you know, seeking more understanding. And as we are prepared, then we gain more, which to me fits the model that we should be very careful to go through this life thinking we are done learning and the Lord is done expounding on things and the Lord cannot command something new or different at a different time. If we hold on to our religion as like it's some dogmatic set of rules, we, we will fall out of religion. We will fall out of the truth. Because the Lord is, his pattern is obvious that there is more to learn. And when you, and you do the best you can with what you have, and when you're given more, you're expected to assimilate that and work it out. Start with the faith, start with your actions, and a testimony and knowledge will follow. And it will increase your understanding. You'll gain more grace by grace, line upon line. We should be very careful, especially in our day when we have so much doctrine, examples, talks, that we don't curate what makes sense to us based on history and based on what keeps us in our comfort zone and validates our pride and not, we should be very, we should always be very quick to follow the prophet. And when the prophet pivots, it's not him, it's the savior saying, now it's time for you to look at this situation in this way. You know, a major pivot that has been done, or not a pivot, but a major revelation in, in I would say, an enhancement to our understanding that has been done is just considering the local church 
in how it acts with the global church. That now we need to start looking at each other as one global church. And that has been in our lifetime and it's been coming along the ways. It's, you know, it's been coming since the brethren, early saints were sent on missions abroad. But now more than ever, because we can be much more connected, the fact that we are all studying the same thing around the world at the same time of the week. You know, it's not something easy to to dismiss, you know, and that we should constantly be happy in in as we gain these knowledges and seek out more knowledge that, yeah, the Lord's going to give us a little bit more. And it happened with Joseph Smith, you know, you know, when he engaged with the Masons and sought brotherhood with them and in, in, in understanding that opened the door for the Lord to be able to now, hey, now that you're interested in this topic, let me let me give you the truth that's in within there. And the same thing with the word of wisdom. Now that you're going to bring up this topic and you feel like you're prepared to now, let me give you some truth that will increase this and make it slightly better. You know, same thing. And, and so for me, the big warning for me, I take from this chapter is I should seek not to be um, so set on the fact that, oh, I think I got it all. Sure. That when new information comes that I am on the side that says I'll follow the prophet and I will look for ways of implementing and studying and pondering these things. So then God can give me further revelation and I can grow. Well, it's that it's that danger of of assuming that we have the true gospel. So we must have all the knowledge already. You know, and if someone comes and says, if the prophet comes and says, hey, uh, here's a new thing that we haven't talked about before and we're going to start doing. That it's like, oh, well, is this. Great. We already have all the truth. I don't know that we can say that he's speaking on behalf of the, the savior. Uh, no, that's his job. That's what he does is speak on behalf of the Savior. Everything he brings us that even if it's new, that's greater light and knowledge. Even if it's old, something we've heard before, there's still greater light and knowledge to be gained from that. Right? It's, it's the whole a Bible, a Bible. We already have a Bible. <laughs> yeah. And the Lord says, uh, just because I have caused one thing to be written doesn't mean I can't cause another. Right. But we fall for that exact same thing in our times when we say, oh, I've been told, I already made up my mind. I went on YouTube and found something that made me feel the way I want to live. Yeah, I think a good example of this is actually in verse 50. Uh, He says, my servant, New K. Whitney, also a bishop of my church, hath need to be chastened and set in order his family and see that they are more diligent and concerned at home and pray always or they shall be removed out of their place. New K. Whitney was a great guy and he was uh, called to be a bishop the second one ever, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that he's beyond reproach. It also doesn't mean that he has everything all figured out in life. Clearly, the Lord's saying, listen, man, you got to get your family in order. You need to be more diligent and concerned at home. And I wonder what that what that meant for him. I'm sure that when Newell K. Whitney heard that, he probably knew exactly where he needed to improve. But I think about that, in, you know, if I apply that to myself, and I think, where do I need to be more diligent and concerned at home? When, what areas am I lacking? And, and pray always, or they shall be removed out of their place. Like, you're never not susceptible to temptation. You're never not susceptible to pride. And so that's where that diligence comes from. And that's why it's so necessary to pray always, is he's saying, 
keep on top of it. Keep searching out greater light and knowledge because you could fall out of out of faith. You could fall into pride in saying, oh, I know I'm good now. I, I know enough now to be I'm OK. I just got to keep doing the right things. And it's like, yeah, but you should always be pursuing greater understanding and praying to the to Heavenly Father to understand, you know, what what's my next what's the next thing I should be doing? And the diligence and being concerned at home, like what that means to me is that whole teaching of your children and also creating a holy place of your home. Make it a place of a, a place where the spirit can dwell, where it can be. And I don't mean you have to play Motab music and walk around with candles and make it just like this, you know, little calm place. But I'm saying, like, make it a place where you can talk about the gospel and it, you don't have to have a formal setting to do it. It doesn't have to be like, OK, kids. It's family home evening time. It's gospel time now. Now is when we talk about gospel. Or it's Sunday, so now we can talk about Sunday things. Normalize talking about this stuff in everyday conversations. You know, your kid comes and says, gosh, I'm having a really hard time understanding this thing at school. Or I have friends that they sometimes I feel like they're my friends, and other times it feels like they're mistreating me. And I, I'm really having a hard time with this. Bring in gospel stuff into that conversation. You know, make it so that they, they start to make those connections themselves. That's how that works. When they see my dad said that understanding math is hard because this life is meant to be difficult sometimes and we have to overcome these things. So maybe that's something I'm supposed to know for the future and I should put extra effort into it. Things, just things like that, like help them understand that through our diligence and through prayer and through understanding that we need to be after greater light and knowledge, uh, we can have more and we can understand better. And we can be happier. When we hear that we need to learn more, that there's more to do and, and don't always plop down and think, oh, I made it, you know, here's the finish line, we're done. Sometimes we can feel like that's just this pressure, it's overwhelming or, you know, and it's like, no, do it within reason. If you want to know the pace, seek the spirit. The spirit will give you the cadence, it will give you the pace. And not everyone is running at the same pace and not everyone's on the same has has the same obstacles to overcome you know and we have seasons sometimes we have seasons where we just have to go through righteous motions we're just going through the motions you know and sometimes we have seasons where we're you know it just feels like wow you know things are just going and improving that's also part of the journey is learning that there are seasons for everything and then there's a there's different pace you should be diligent like it says in the scripture but and you should avoid being slothful you know it's needful that men not run faster and they have strength but also be diligent so they don't lose their reward so and that's a difficult thing and it's not a comparison scale you know you'll never get the right cadence if you're comparing to others you're always you'll you'll be tempted and you will be saddened you know uh, but when you are confident in your relationship with the savior you can be confident in the pace that you need to pursue these improvements and the time that you need to devote to, to 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 yourself to repentance and repentance also changes over time it's not always i broke something i need to repent repentance is progressing you know repentance is is can happen just in your mind as you as you read something new as you gain new knowledge and you say oh i'm gonna expand my way of thinking just a little bit differently I didn't think this, I, I thought this scenario was black and white, and now I see it that there's just, 
it could be this in this scenario, it could be this in this scenario, and then there's more nuance to it. And that in itself, allowing ourselves to grow and to uh, increase our understanding is a form of repentance, of improvement. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.